Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org. Yeah, so, so I'm Dr. Brett Merrill. Uh, I graduated from the BYU Clinical Psychology Program in 2014, um, and then was hired on the Counseling Center at BYU shortly thereafter. Took a, a, a brief break and worked at a residential treatment center uh, for about a year and a half, doing mostly like psychological evaluations. Really loved it, great, um, great place. It was very family oriented, which I loved as well. Um, but my heart was just at BYU, so came back here and been working here ever since. A lot of my interest has been working with teenagers and young adults. You know, I think I'm mostly interested in teenagers and young adults because I feel like um, that's where my heart is anyway. I kind of feel like a teen or like a young adult still, uh, so I feel it's easy to connect with them. Uh, I also like some of the, the development that happens during that time period, so kind of reaching out and understanding yourself a little bit better, uh, and breaking away from family just a little bit, only knowing that you're gonna come back once you have a greater understanding. So I like watching that uh, and seeing kind of those processes happen. When, when I was doing my, my graduate work, I was introduced to um, working with kids on the spectrum and, and young adults on the spectrum, uh, and actually ran a, a therapy group with them where we were finding ways that they could learn how to connect better with each other and kind of practice some of those skills outside of the group. And just found it really fun. <laughs> uh, they had a good time. We, we made it really social where we'd order pizza kind of at the beginning and just make it like a little bit of social time and then we practice a few skills. Uh, but it was a great way of connecting with them. And, and for them, it was, it was unique where they, a lot of them struggled with um, having friends kind of uh, and peers that they connected with at school or at work so it's nice for them to have a place where they could feel like they really belonged and could, could get in touch with others that way. One of the things that was really helpful for the kids in the group to connect socially was having expectations. One thing that's really tough for them in other settings is social roles are just unclear. Uh, they don't really know what to expect or how to act in certain ways and feel kind of out of place that way. Uh, and so we would be very clear in terms of what was expected of them. We'd, have very, we'd set a lot of structure for what we would do uh, and then giving them ideas and role-playing kind of how to, how to open up to others, how to share things when it's appropriate to share, when it was, wasn't. And kind of learning some of the social rules, if you will, uh, was really helpful for them. Yeah, so some of the rules we would teach would just be like how to begin a conversation. So sometimes, you know, even for, for typically developing adults or teens, they don't really know when to interrupt or when it's okay to join a group when it wasn't. Uh, and so we'd help them learn some of the, the, the cues, like facial expressions, when someone was upset with an interruption versus when it was kind of a welcomed interruption, how to walk into a group and introduce yourself, like saying like, oh, hey, sorry, can I interrupt real quick? I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is such and such. Uh, and then just getting to know some of the, just very kind of basic developmental skills that way. Yeah, so one of the things uh, I also found working with kids with autism 
Uh, at least from talking to parents with kids with autism, is a lot of parents would have a concern of their kids using technology and just having a hard time breaking away from that. Uh, they were worried about becoming their kids becoming addicted to technology uh, or just spending far too much time on tech and not really engaging in other interactions. And so um, it's become a bit of a, a passion of mine, kind of looking at um, you know, how much screen time is okay, what are the factors to get people involved in screens, uh, or just technology in general, what's this idea of like abstinence and not using anything at all versus kind of like this moderation approach uh, and like how much is, is too much that way. So I've spent a lot of time researching that uh, and done quite a few presentations as well just because it's something I'm interested in anyway uh, in this field. Yeah, uh, in the research, one of the, the biggest things that stands out is people who are researching it are worried that, um, that we are becoming addicted or this is becoming a really big problem. Um, I'm probably uh, personally less concerned about it. Most people having a problem with it, although we do find there's a small portion of the population that tends to struggle managing their tech time. Uh, so just to give an example, um, the, the greatest recommendations we have is, is using not more than about two hours a day on screen time. So that's including you know, videos, TV, phone, tablets, games, things like that. Uh, whereas most people use more than that uh, already. So the average is about three hours per day for teens. Uh, and, and young adults that way. Um, if you include school time where computers are also being used, it actually goes up to about seven hours a day on screen time. But that seems to be more functional, practical, helpful time. Uh, the things that become more problematic is actually how we use it. Uh, so what drives us to you know, want to veg out uh, and just watch TV or, or kind of escape reality and play video games uh, tends to be those reasons why that can be far more unhelpful rather than just the amount of time. The time still matters, so if someone's spending all day, like every day on tech and just glued to it, that's still a problem, but usually there's something else kind of driving that. Uh, so whether people feel like they're, they're lonely that way or they're kind of trying to escape something unpleasant about their current reality and using that as a way of ignoring or avoiding real problems, uh, then that tends to be more problematic and drives more problematic behaviors with tech. When I talk about driving um, problematic behaviors in terms of autism specifically, uh, some of the concerns are disengaging from family uh, or from other friends and relationships and becoming very isolated when that's not the most helpful thing for them. Uh, also, one of the things we see um, is that you can get more oppositional behaviors. So when, when tech time is supposed to be over and a parent says like, hey, we need to stop playing video games right now, uh, sometimes you can get really upset about that. It's hard to shift gears uh, and leave something that's so fun or entertaining or as, a, as an avoidance. Uh, and so it's, it becomes like lots of arguments <laughs> that can occur in the family, um, fighting back and forth, sometimes getting even like violent or angry that way. Um, so we, we like to avoid that if possible and find good ways of managing that. One of the most helpful things in working with, with teenagers or even young children uh, in managing the tech time is setting clear boundaries for it. 
So if you have an expectation in our family, we, we have limits of you know, two hours a day because that's what we feel like is helpful. We just set that early on and then we hold to it really consistently. Of course, there can be small exceptions here or there, uh, but it becomes really helpful just to know like this is what our family does and this is what we feel like is the most helpful thing. So having very set, consistent boundaries that way. There are some apps uh, and actually like filtering time management programs that can help with that. So as an example, um, the, the most recent version of iOS, which I think is like iOS 12, uh, has this built in to it. Uh, they felt it was enough of an issue and people were wanting it, where they have time systems where you can manage it very easily of when the phone can be on, when it can be off, uh, setting a certain amount of time, screen time, so if they go over a certain number of hours, they can't have more if it's on a family plan unless like, the kind of parent allows for that. Uh, so it helps with that system and monitoring, but uh, you still may have some kickback uh, early on and people not liking those rules, especially if it's a if it's an immediate change for them. But that consistency tends to be one of the most helpful things there. I think it's, it's imperative that parents understand what's really going on um, to drive these behaviors. If, if we don't understand uh, what's gonna happen is it's gonna become a me versus you type of thing, or even like power struggles. And those just don't tend to be helpful at all. Uh, what's far more uh, useful for parents is truly understanding and then speaking to the child at that level. So even being able to reflect back, like, I know this is really hard to switch gears. I have a hard time with it too. If I'm at work or I'm really involved with the task, it's hard for me to pull away and do something else. So I respect that and I'll give you a little bit of time to transition, um, but let's, we also have some other things we need to do. So the more parents can, can truly understand and put themselves in their, in their children's shoes, I think you're gonna have far more compliance and just a better relationship with your kids anyway. It can be really helpful to give kids uh, a warning in advance. So in working with my own kids even, who are typically developing, I almost always give them a five minute warning before I turn off a show. Otherwise, if I don't, and sometimes I don't because I forget, uh, but if I don't, like, it's screaming, it's falling to the floor, complaining like, why, why did you do this? Whereas if I give a five minute warning, sometimes I still get the screaming and complaining, uh, but it's usually less, or I'm able to go back and say like, hey, I gave you a five minute warning. Like I want you to be prepared and feel like you're ready to do this to make the transition easier for you. And it's better, still not perfect, but it certainly is better than just this abrupt change. Uh, especially if we're talking about kids with autism who don't deal well with that immediate change. So, so one of the reasons why kids um, usually seek out tech time is, uh, well, there's, there's a few different reasons, actually. Um, for, for video games in particular, maybe we can speak to that for a moment, uh, there's three major factors why people would engage in video games. Uh, one of them is like at the sense of achievement, right? So maybe I feel like things aren't going great in my, in my real life, but here I'm getting rewarded very quickly for what I'm doing. I feel like I'm making progress towards something and I just feel really competent uh, when I'm doing it. And that feels great. Uh, so I wanna keep doing that, it's self-reinforcing. Uh, one of the other reasons is actually social. So one thing that we see is uh, with autism, it's really hard face-to-face -to, -face to have a lot of those interactions. If I create some distance and have maybe an avatar to express some things that I'm thinking or wanting to try out in an experimental way without a lot of negative consequences attached to that, 
it's really nice for me to be able to have um, that disconnect while still connected to people socially. Uh, and video games and, and other forms of, of technology can do that. The last one is kind of um, this, this escapism, if you will. Uh, so it's a, it's a break where I feel like I can fully immerse myself in a different reality, a story where I can get lost in it and just create kind of this fantasy world, which is fun for everyone. Reading a good book can do the same thing, but something far more immersive like a video game or even like a movie has a much greater effect for us to do that. So we find that there's these kind of different reasons that can really contribute to why someone would want to use more tech. Um, and it's important to understand what's driving that because the type of technology they're using may be different for those reasons. So um, if someone's kind of motivated socially, they're far more likely to use social media or lots of texting, kind of like Snapchat as a way of connecting with people and using that sort of tech. For a lot of kids with autism, it's not that. Uh, it's usually more of this achievement piece or this escape piece. And so some video games like role-playing games where they can take on the identity of a character and get immersed in this world uh, really connects with them. Uh, and it's gonna be a good way that they can explore things in a different way. We just wanna make sure we don't get too lost in that world uh, or able to use some of the same same factors in what we're doing in the real world as well. We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum. There is a real proactive element Parents have a large responsibility uh, in helping their kids manage their, their tech time, as well as their own tech time, which acts as a good example. Our kids watch us um, watching a lot of TV or kind of disengaging, they're gonna follow suit. So it's really important for parents to set a good example and also have some regulations in their home. It doesn't have to be overly strict, right? It doesn't have to be like no, no phone, no TV, no nothing. Um, but kids have a harder time really planning ahead and organizing what their days are gonna look like. And they kind of need their parents to act as that executive functioning um, system for them. They need to teach them, here are the rules that are helpful for us. Here's why we do some of these things and, and giving examples that way. But it really is a lot of the parents' responsibility to, to um, enforce that that happens and you know, make sure that it's, it's happening consistently in the home. Yeah, it's, it is especially important for kids um, on the spectrum to have some of that guidance from parents. Rules are something we usually hate and love at the same time. Uh, we don't like to be forced into something, especially if we feel like we don't like it or it goes against what we want in the moment. But knowing that the rule exists also creates some safety. Uh, I mentioned earlier I worked with um, kids with autism in a group setting and if we were ever late it was horrible for them. They feel like maybe they had missed something, maybe we'd canceled, maybe something awful happened and their anxiety just spiked tremendously. Whereas when we were able to be consistently on time or early, put their minds at ease much, much greater. And the same thing applies to rules. Uh, when they know a rule exists and we're going to follow through consistently with that, it lets them know what to expect 
Anxiety can go down and they have a sense of direction. Even if they don't always like it, uh, it's still some comfort there for them. M most people, uh, even, even typically developing people, like to have a reason for why there are rules. Uh, it gives some meaning for it, it gives us a direction, and it gives us like a purpose there. If we don't have a meaning, sometimes we can go along with that. There's just a trust if you've built up that trust in their relationship. But it is so much easier to really know like, oh, in our house, we manage our tech time, or we only do two hours of tech because we know that it can get hard to disengage from family members or from other relationships. Or we know that it's really immersive and can suck us right in. And that's not what we want. Uh, and our family want us to be happy and healthy in our relationships with one another. And being able to connect with other people is something that's meaningful, even if it's really difficult to do at times. Yeah, it's, it's nice for parents to be able to recognize what's going on first and then being able to join their children in that explanation. Uh, so, uh, for instance, when, when uh, one of my kids get upset, uh, I'll try to join them in with that and say like, hey, like you're really upset right now. Like, I kind of know what that feels like. I've had times when I've fought with other people and I just want to be mad <laughs> at them for a long time. And I know that that wasn't like the most helpful thing for me. So I want to help you be able to find a way where you can still feel mad right now, but be able to work through it in a way where you don't have to feel this way all the time. Uh, and we can work through problems as they come up in the future. So a lot of parents will, will kind of ask this question of like, when do I know like if this is a problem in my house? Like how much is too much tech time? Like what types of media is okay versus what type is not? It's hard to say because each each individual family is so different uh, in what they value and what they're okay with. But there is kind of a general rule that may help with this, uh, and it follows the three Ds. So is it dysfunctional, is it distressing, and is it deviant from the norm? Meaning is it just different from what most other people expect? With the dysfunctional, some of the things we look for in managing tech time is really like, is it getting in the way of them going to school? Uh, going in the way of them doing their homework? Getting in the way of how well they do on their homework? Uh, or just on some of these basic things that they need to do? Are they spending more time on tech where they're not actually like completing their chores or their expectations in the house? That becomes dysfunctional. Uh, it's stopping them from doing the things that we, we think to be helpful. Uh, and so it becomes a problem in that sense. The other one is distressing. And this one's unique because usually with tech time, sometimes we feel like the amount of tech time we're using is distressing, but usually it's like, how much is it distressing others? So if parents are really thinking like, wow, I don't like that we're spending so much time watching movies or we're spending so much time doing this thing, that causes a distress to a parent. And if a parent's distressed, they're just gonna have that distress out on the kid. They're gonna express that frustration and say like, hey, I don't want you to play so much. Or I don't want you to be spending so much time just doing nothing. Uh, and so you see the, the distress pretty clearly. So that goes along with the second rule. And then the last one is just deviant from the norm, right? Or is how much time we're spending on the tech different from what a lot of other families are doing. This one's harder to judge because it's a wide variety. And like I said, people have different ideas of what's okay and what's not. This is why it's helpful to have some of the kind of the national standards or recommendations from, from different health agencies saying about 
You don't really want to do two hours or more. Uh, it should be two hours or less each day. That gives a, a basic rule, although of course it needs to be adjusted for each individual family. Uh, and it also doesn't account for weekends when people tend to spend a little bit more time or summer breaks even. Um, but having some sort of like con uh, some sort of idea of what you want in your family, and as long as it's kind of fitting those three areas, the dysfunctional, distressing, and, and deviant from the norm, um, will give you a, a pretty good sense of whether it's something you want to shift or whether you're doing okay with where you're at. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's been a change with the introduction of technology. Uh, when most parents grew up, there was no internet, no phones, no, or no like cell phones that way. All of our interactions were very face-to-face. -face. Maybe, maybe phone call, but that was kind of like the extent of it. Now, we can contact people from across the world and we don't actually ever see them or have to see them. We can text message people, which creates kind of another layer of distance uh, from, from our interactions with one another. This has been fantastic in a lot of ways. The fact that we can reach people that we've never been able to reach before is really, really good. And there can be some problems with that. As we lose kind of those face-to-face -face reactions, sometimes we can get people starting to do mean behaviors or trolling online or even cyberbullying now. Um, this becomes devastating because there's, nothing, there's no face-to-face um, -face reaction here. It used to be if you would say something really mean to someone, you would see them either get hurt or angry or respond negatively to what you're saying. And that gave us feedback for what we wanted to do. Like, oh, that clearly wasn't the right thing to say or I wanna patch that up. Now we don't get that same feedback. Uh, and so cyberbullying becomes a really big issue here where people can say mean things and be really harsh to each other. And it's like, I can get away scot-free. There's, there's nothing that's gonna change my behavior at this point. That can become devastating as both a recipient and a giver uh, or a, a perpetrator of cyberbullying. Uh, and so it's important for parents to be able to kind of monitor online relationships in a lot of ways make sure that their kids aren't being bullied in this way, and if so, kind of wondering what they can do. Or if their kids are actually bullying others and saying mean things, being able to correct that and give them some of those experiences, knowing that's not how we treat people. In terms of uh, parents kind of asking, what can I do if my kid's being cyberbullied? The first thing is calling it out. Uh, so being able to help your kid identify that that type of behavior is, is unacceptable. And if people are treating them that way, uh, obviously trying to work through it first and teaching them some of the ways of responding respectfully and civilly while, while trying to work through an issue. And if the bullying just continues like, relentlessly that way, knowing it's okay to block people. Uh, it's okay to mute people on Snapchat or in different social media sites, or even in video games, being able to like mute people and knowing you don't have to listen to that uh, is a good way or a good coping skill for them to know how to manage this so they can keep some of that esteem and not take on those same behaviors and know that that's how we treat people. So just on a, on a personal note, I'd love to talk to the parents and give them, um, give them my love I think what you do is really, really difficult. Uh, and I, I respect everything you're doing. Having a kid with autism takes everything from you. It's very draining. And it feels like it's a grind that happens every day. And yet it's still a kid that you love and you want in your life and you want the best for them. 
it's a really hard place to be. And I just want to say like how much I respect uh, and admire what you're doing and encourage you to keep, keep with it. There's going to be days where you lose your patience, <laughs> as we all do. Uh, and there's going to be days you're really frustrated and thinking like, what is going on or why me or any one of those questions that come up. And just know like it's worth it. These kiddos have so much to give us in the world, things that they see that we just don't understand in the same way. And it's a beautiful thing. And so continuing to, to show that love to them and, and have as much patience as you can possibly muster each day uh, is, it's just beautiful. And I thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.